Welcome to Sailing Through Life, a journey to health, happiness, and living your dreams. My name is Lori and I'm your host. The importance of end-of-life communication hit home when Lynn Sherwood's 25-year-old daughter, Lauren, was diagnosed with small cell lung cancer. In the five months they shared between diagnosis and her passing, this mom and daughter navigated the waters of legal and healthcare decisions, interpersonal relationships, and communicating personal preferences, which would bring comfort, joy, and peace. My guest today is Lynn Sherwood, a companionship-centered caregiver, a serial entrepreneur, and the author of Lung Cancer 101 and My Croak File. She is a TEDx speaker and former nurse and encourages us to think about dying as a natural part of life, designing our dying to achieve a potentially happier ending. I've seen people at the end of their life stay in their physical body until they had certain moments of reconciliation with family members. It's it's physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual for some. It's that peace in the yearning for having hard conversations and, and finding peace at the end of our life can actually extend our life until we have that closure. So powerful. Join me as we set sail on this adventure to discover ways to take care of yourself, find the positive in life, and continue to dream, even when going through some of your darkest days. Listen to my inspiring guests as they share their stories and give hope to help you on your journey. It's time to feel empowered. It's time to make every choice count. My episode today is Before That Ship Has Sailed. This candid and emotional conversation with Lynn will cover why communication about death and dying is so important to her, the importance of talking about death before it happens, and how planning ahead can create a happier ending for you and your family. Please welcome Lynn. Hello, Lynn. Hi, Lori. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining me today. I know this is going to be an emotional episode, but it is also a very important episode. Um, The title, Before That Ship Has Sailed, clues us into the fact that there are things that in life that happen and there are things that you do need to address and plan for. And so our conversation will be directed toward that. I know after a cancer diagnosis or other major life event, um, you can be faced with your own potential mortality. I know when I was told I had cancer, my head was spinning with thoughts of, will I die from this? And the reality is, is that anyone can perish without even the wake-up call at any time. So I wanted to make sure we were able to discuss this and give people some reassurance that this is something that regardless of if you want to deal with it or not, it is something you will have to deal with at some point. Um, And I know pre-planning is important. I see on a daily basis how families are torn with decisions at a time when they're very distraught and trying to make decisions while they're grieving the loss of a loved one is a difficult thing. This is a difficult subject, yet it's one that everybody deals with eventually. So today we'll be learning um, a little bit more from you about how to be proactive and to create a happier ending in your life. So thank you. And again, welcome. Thank you, Lori. So I wanted to talk about where this all started for you and get more into what draws you to this? What? Why is this communication about 
death and dying important to you? Lori, I've seen firsthand how communicating about death and dying can benefit both a patient and their families. And while grieving and talking about these things and then ultimately grieving the person or the the future loss isn't enjoyable by any means, I think that we can get more of what we want in our last stages of living when we talk about what we want. If we keep it all bottled inside, we have less chance of making it happen. The other great benefit that seems to happen when families talk about death and dying together is that the patient not only gets more of what they want before they die, but they in turn, can help relieve the burdens of decision-making and regrets for their families. The hurdle of getting through the fear that you're making something happen, I hear that sometimes, is that if you address it, it means like you're conjuring this to come on. And and it's not that at all. It's, It's getting things in order to relieve people of a huge amount of stress And when that's not what they really should be thinking about, that's not what they really want to be thinking about when, you know, something happens, you're all over the place with your final plans and and trying to figure everything out. And if you can eliminate any of those layers um, in advance, that helps everybody. And I think a lot of times people feel a sense of relief when they get through just even some of this. They don't have to do everything, but just even having something in, in place for families, it makes a huge difference. I agree. I agree. And I've seen that firsthand. I'm a former nurse. I worked in the ER and medical surgical units um, of major hospitals. And I have 22 years of end of life caregiving experience on a a medical level, on a companionship level, um, helping families to work through some of the issues that they need to, to work through, whether they be legal and medical decisions or family reconciliations. By talking about some of the things that people want in advance, they get more of Mm -hmm. what they want. And that doesn't make it easy. Death is can be Mm -hmm. messy. Relationships can be messy. But when we address some of these things, I think there's a certain freedom in facing the hard things in our life. This all hit home personally for me when my 25-year-old daughter was diagnosed with cancer. And we had a precious five-month period that we could choose to talk about certain things or not talk about certain things. That five months was between her diagnosis and the moment she took her last breath. And we had to make some decisions. And by making the decisions to talk about the hard stuff, the messy stuff, (laughs) we we allowed the opportunity for the openness to bring a, some some more closure, but also some really important things in her life that she may not have been able to experience mm-hmm. had she not told somebody that she wanted those right. things. <laughs> I, I think it was a real gift for her to be able to get some of those um, things at the end of her life that that she desired, like certain trips, a, a trip up a mountainside to a certain stream with her daughter and husband and to have a cinnamon candle in her Mm -hmm. room 
she loved that scent. She wanted her her toenails to be painted call girl red and certain sheets on her bedside. And had we not talked about those items, she may not have been able to have that those pieces of joy, those things that were really small things, but nobody would have known. So I think it was a real gift for me to be able to provide those things for her because she told us. And it was a gift for her to ultimately be able to have those things because, again, she told us. So for me, I think that the conversation about death and dying goes well beyond who's your healthcare power of attorney, who's making the decisions for your body and your medical care it cannot. Uh, what are those decisions in your advanced directives going to be? Um, you've got the relational and the interpersonal and 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 very personal parts of of life to that that help bring us peace and joy at the end too. What what was the beginning of that conversation? What started that conversation between you um, to for her to be able to express all these things? Do you remember? <laughs> I think my turning point with. After the shock of the mm-hmm. diagnosis, I went home and I had a pity party and I cried and I cried and I cried. And my friend called and he said, you know, Lynn, what I'm hearing from you is that you you think that things should be a different way. And that word should is interesting. He said, you think that kids should outlive the parents, that they do outlive parents. He said, just because that's the way it typically is doesn't mean it's the way it always is. And this is what it is. And it is probably going to end up in the death of your daughter. And I was mm-hmm. mad. I, I didn't talk to him for three weeks. I I was so angry that I couldn't wallow in my party. But I think it was one of the most amazing conversations that I had along the way. Because had he not called me on my denial, I wouldn't have had an opportunity to look at the road we had ahead and evaluate it as I did. And by looking at the statistics that, yes, it, it, for a woman to live to an average of 82 years old, a child dies when they're two days old and five mm-hmm. days old and five months old and 25 years old and 85 years old and 105 years old. And that's how we get to the statistic that the, a typical woman, a woman will typically reach the age of 82. But it doesn't mean that all reach the age of 82. And by confronting that denial, I had the opportunity to say, okay, we have certain decisions to make. If we have X amount of time left and I I don't what that time is going to be. The doctors estimated two to three months if Lauren had treatment or that a year would be an overestimation if she didn't. But I had choices to make and she had choices to make. And I had the choice to either face the fact that her death would probably be the likely outcome of her diagnosis or... I could live in the denial and not appreciate the mm-hmm. moments that we were then able to share together in the next five months because we faced it head on. And I'm just sitting here thinking as a friend, and I I, I don't know how I would have handled that conversation um, either side because I've not been in that situation. But as a friend to have that honest interaction with you, even though it was the last thing you wanted to hear, that blessing that you had those words to shift your mindset, to really understand the 
the the importance of of that time you were going to have with her and make the best of it instead of pretending it didn't exist and then regretting that time you missed um that 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 was truly yes. a blessing and i again i know when i've gone through things and I, somebody's told me something you you get very frustrated with people because you think they don't understand and and sometimes i think they see things better than you do because they're outside of that box that you're in at that moment. And all you know is what's inside that box. And from outside, it looks very different. And that being open to understanding that feedback sometimes is very hard, but sometimes it's the exact same thing you need at that moment. And so I just think about, you know, the fact that you did get the benefit of that time and that that's immeasurable. So... I agree. I, I really do look at it as a blessing or a gift. And it it was definitely a shift in mindset to be able to accept the likely reality. And it doesn't mean that I mm. wanted it to happen, Mm-mm. of course. It doesn't mean that I was willing it to happen. But had I been, and it doesn't even mean that I lost hope. I had hope throughout, but I do think I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that we were able to look at the likely right. reality and be able to enjoy each day along the way. Do you know what 13%, only 13% of us will be hit by that proverbial bus tomorrow? Well, that means that 87% of us have what I consider to be an opportunity to talk about these things. I don't know if I have two days left or 20 years left or 40 years left of my life, but I know that I had right. today. And I, I look at that eight being one of the 87% of, of humans to make it through today. I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I still have choices to make all the way along the way. I've heard that reference so many times, in, in especially in light of a cancer diagnosis and or anything else that, that somebody may be going through. And, and the only thing I can think of when somebody says that is, is they don't know on a daily basis that they might get hit on a, by a bus. And when you're dealing with cancer yes. every day, you know there's a potential for that bus, but you, you're conscious of it. And to be oblivious to it and still live your life, it's different than having that kind of in the back of your mind always and trying to make the best of it. So nobody knows. That's true. Um, the problem is, is when you're very aware of that and how do you not let that control you to do less than to make sure you still do the things that you strive to do and goals you still have and and make you move forward through it because you do want to just well if i'm going to get hit by the bus i might as well just sit down you know and and it's not, it's it's very hard to get out of that rut I love how we can all take the same example and go in different ways with it. I've seen people, yes, sit down um, with with that diagnosis. And I've seen other people say, hey, at least I have tomorrow until I see the bus right. and go really live life. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. I'm sure it has a lot to do with how you grew up and your experiences in life um, that, that play a lot into how you respond to that. And I'm glad that even though it took me a second 
round to really understand the value of my life and what I really wanted to get out of it, I'm glad I had that wake-up call. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I had the foresight to then take that wake-up call and really adjust what I'm doing and really try to make a difference and find a purpose for it and to reach out in this platform to have that impact. So it it all came full circle. I just didn't get it the first time. And maybe it was part of the importance of why I had to go through it a second time to understand the the gravity of it. So I'm glad you're here finding your way. The the importance of having these talks with your family, your spouse, your children, and trying to get things out on the table and really putting things into place. I thought of a, a phrase while I was working through thoughts I had, and it was, don't be a slave to avoidance because you really mm. are doing a disservice to everyone. And and like we we're saying, ignoring it doesn't make it go away. It's still going to be there. It's just, you're not going to have the opportunity to do anything proactively. And the thought of, of having this conversation, I think, does create a more open relationship um, with family and friends. And you do get the benefit of having the best life now, as opposed to when it's too late and you're trying to make up for lost time. I agree. Um, and, and not everybody can handle what you're going to be right. saying to them. Some people in your life might retreat and that needs to be okay as well. Not everybody's going to deal with, a, with, with, the, with the work, with the news, mm-hmm. with the diagnosis, with the potential future, the same as anybody else. As you said before, we all come from different experiences. And in spite of and because of those experiences, that's how we're going to deal with some of the things we're going to learn in a potentially really scary and horrendous diagnosis. Um, there's a, a beautiful Hawaiian prayer and and Dr. Ira Bayak, who's a, a palliative care end-of-life physician, who took took the, the pieces of the prayer and studied them and says that four things can really help us to find acceptance and peace at the end of our life. When we say, I'm sorry, or please forgive me, thank you, and I love you, some people may not be able to hear those words from their loved one because their grief is so big. But the person who's saying them has the benefit of the potential reconciliation, peace, and finding finding some acceptance of a life well lived before they die. Mm. They're they're really powerful words and conversations to have. I've seen people at the end of their life stay in their physical body until they had certain months of conciliation with family members. Mm-hmm. It's it's physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual for some. It's that that peace in the the yearning for having hard conversations and and finding peace at the end of our life can actually extend our life until we have that closure. So powerful. So as you work through getting to this point where you're wanting to have these conversations, what strategies or what have you come up with as far as techniques to address these topics with families? That's a great question. (laughs) 
That's a great question. I think number one, being kind to ourselves, making making it be okay that we're having all of these emotions, the roller coaster. Just because you're dealing with certain legal and medical decisions and personal grief care, personal things that you would want in your life and reconciliations of families and uh, of relationships, you're still going to have those roller coasters of emotions and decisions. And I think number one, to give yourself permission to to feel those things. It's not always mm-hmm. going to be roses. There are so many things to work through and giving yourself the permission and the time to do that and feel everything that you're going to feel along the way. I was in a situation yesterday where I I, I saw a certain um, a phrase, a, a certain wording, and it sounded so final. And I had to really work through why why is this phrase bringing up all of these emotions in me? And it helped me to go back and say, it's okay to feel mm-hmm. the emotions. I do feel sad. I cry and laugh and both experiences are okay. It's part of what's helping me to get through because it's not right. easy. So a person living their final stages of life needs that they need to give themselves that permission to feel everything that they're going to feel in the grief process. And the family needs the same permission. I've also developed a, uh, a, a communication tool called my croak file. When Lauren was, was dying, she wanted to make sure that her husband had all the passwords to their bank accounts. And I want her daughter who was three at the time, to be able to have a really sweet video that I took of Lauren reading to her. And I'll give her, I'll give Lauren's daughter that video when she's 13 or 23 or 33 and getting married or having babies of her own. And these these files, we, we affectionately, professionally <laughs> called her croak file, trying to bring some levity to right. the situation that it's just horrendous. But for some reason, it worked to be able to face it and deal with it and put the things in her croak file that that she wanted people to know. And so I've developed that communication tool for families as well. And that's been a real gift to be able to help people start the mm-hmm. conversations. You've got legal issues, medical issues that you that you need to deal with and relational concerns. And then really getting into the nitty gritty of your, your personal preferences and what's going to bring you peace and joy right. in the end. And being able to talk about those things openly. And it doesn't mean because you're talking about things that it's easy. There are so many decisions that are excruciatingly hard. But you may be able to have more of what you want as you die. And in the meantime, again, relieve those burdens for your family and the people who love you. And I would, I would imagine that, yes, if, if you were more open and more specific and you knew what to ask about or ask for, that even though that would be a very difficult conversation that would be appreciated both by yourself because you're, you're being heard and then by your family because then they know what it is to do for you. Because I think in the middle of everything, family members 
are at a loss as to how to help anyone. This is a, you know, an uncharted territory for them. And to try to figure out what the best way to show how they care about somebody, um, it, it, you're just kind of grabbing at things to, you know, to try to help somebody understand how you feel and how you support them. And then if you figure in then somebody being very specific about what they want or how they want things, that gives everybody a purpose right then and there that they know it's 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 clear here's what they're wanting and you're not you're not scrambling looking for the answers you already have things out there but i can imagine just how diff- that it would be very difficult to to sit there and think about these things and you would have to have a moment where you could really just sit and just be in that moment and really try to figure out if this is it what is it i want yes I think that's a great way to put it. And I loved what you said to in, in your wording there of just be. And I think both as the person who's living with a potential diagnosis and as the family members, we don't always have to do. Sometimes it's really important to just be family members can't come in and save save the day da, da, yeah, da. Really. Wish. <laughs> it, it just doesn't <laughs> it, I do I wish <laughs> Lori I do but it, it's just not the way that it works and to give ourselves permission to just be is important for both the family members and the person living their last stages of life whether that be two days or 20 right. years and since none of us know, I think that's a beautiful way to 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 say it of just be because you can't come come in and and make no. everything go away as much as we wish it wish it were so. Yeah, and I think it's it's hard to be in that silence too because there's so much going on and to try to clear a path for those thoughts to actually process. And that's hard because there's so many things outside of you that are influencing your life. And it's it's something you have to try to figure out. And yeah, being in that silence and that quiet to understand a little bit more about what your heart is saying, um, I think is is truly something empowering. How did you find ways to speak with your family about what it is that you needed? It was hard. I probably didn't say a whole lot um, through the first year of everything. I think I was so blindsided by this diagnosis and I was so hopeful and I was learning so much that I didn't even know what to think for myself, let alone give information to someone else. And I I think that my mindset at the time was just keep doing what you were doing before because then everything will be okay. Just keep on the, the path you're on. You know, it was it was a serious diagnosis, but the way I interpret things were would be more of you're gonna get this treatment and you're gonna be fine. And that's the way I lived my life, like I was going to be fine. Um, And that's why I think when I found out that within months of finishing treatment, that it was still a concern that I still had 
this cancer and I had to start all over, that's when I got derailed. That is when I really started to put a different perspective on it. And I still, whether it's ignorance or if I just truly had a blind faith that everything was going to be okay, I I was in that mindset for a while. Um, And I think as I got further into treatment and started having some minor side effects, but things that made it very real to me, um, that changed things a little bit. So then I started to be a little more open because I started realizing that, again, I am I going to make it through all this? You know, if it's, this is this aggressive, this is serious. So I think that second time around really did change things, really did affect how I thought. And um, I it, it did make it harder to have these conversations because I did realize that I don't know that I have five years. I don't know that I have 25 years, but I know I have now. And it's unconventional, you know, in, in what you know growing up. For me, it was time to 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 put some hard stops in there as to what's going to change and when. And some of these things change sooner than I anticipated, but it was time to make some changes and really let people know that I'm going to start doing the things that I feel truly in my heart that I need to do. I'm happy for you. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry that you have to go through the journey. But I'm so happy that you're that you're learning these lessons. Isn't that what it's all about? It's a hard lesson. <laughs> yep, it's a very hard lesson yes. and it's funny as we're talking, my dermatologist was calling to remind me of my dreaded appointment. <laughs> which made it more real in the middle of what I was talking about. So, yeah. Yep. I I hear you. I hear you. And, and those reminders. Just when you think you have the reminders. A, a way to, to get through the day, you have a reminder. And there will always be reminders. Yes. And it's just how do you process those reminders? And what does it do? If, it's, if I can find something to better my day because of that reminder, if I can flip the switch and catch it before it becomes worry, that's, that's crucial. But it's very difficult to do. It is. And then when you find the ways to do it, to, to flip the switch, as you say, it can be a really beautiful thing. I've, I've found that uh, people with in, in my life are perhaps afraid to say my daughter's name. They're afraid to bring her up, talk about a story. And I went for months with nobody talking about my yeah. daughter to me. And I had to find the strength to say, you know, when when you are trying to protect me, my loved ones, when you are trying to protect me, it feels like you've right. forgotten. It feels like her legacy is for naught. Her life was for naught. And people who live on in other people's memories are still living on in some capacity. And she mattered. And I want her life to have mattered. And I now love when my friends and family talk about Lauren. I could cry at the, t- <laughs> at the drop of a pin. And sometimes I laugh. But... I'm thankful that they're seeing in me that I had that aha moment that I need I need yes. to talk about her. And it's okay to face my tears and, and cry through it. But I'd rather have I'm I'm glad that I had the memory. So yes, yes I want to relive it. And I needed to find those words to be able to say what I needed. And honestly, early on in the grief process, I was caregiver. 
I was balancing being a mom and a nurse. And I I didn't have, I was grieving the loss of our, our future, what would have been our future. But then when she died, I had to grieve the loss of my daughter in, in real life. And I didn't know what I needed. Right. I couldn't, I couldn't think of a thing. It was only as the grief process went on that I was able to identify the things that I did prefer. I do prefer that you say, tell me a story, send me a picture at two o'clock in the morning if you're thinking about her. I'm thankful for some of those things, but I had to find the voice. And I think in our communications, part of how we can find our voice is by talking about these really hard issues before the end of a life. Because I don't have the burden of, of the decision-making and the regrets because we were able to talk about some of those things. And now I'm able to focus on my grief and getting through day by day. You mentioned about the grieving of the future that you wouldn't have. And I think that's probably one of the harder things that I work through in any thought process of anything for the future. On some level, thinking the potential is there. And the important part is, is catching yourself, not getting caught up in that. If you can make little steps towards it, I, I think that's important to recharge your battery and to give yourself that extra push when when you feel a little bit more introspective. Um, yes. But yeah, that's, I mean, that there's, there's incidences like that, you know, that happen that I'm like, hmm. I wonder if I'm going to wear that again because it doesn't fit now, but should I save it or should I get <laughs> I mean, there's just weird little things that happen that your mind is 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 sitting there trying to make sense of it. Yes. And, and they wallop you. They can completely blindside yep. you. I, I was thinking the other day that my younger daughter is going to be older than my older wow. daughter oh. will ever be. And how has that affected her? So her her sister is really dealing with the reality in a very different way than I am as well. She's trying to explain death to her mm. children. I'm trying to explain death to Lauren's then three-year-old daughter and to my mother, who's grieving the loss of her granddaughter, but also the loss of me. She looked at me in her living room one day, six months after Lauren died and said, I, I lost both of you. Where are you? Hmm. And we all process grief in such different ways and for different reasons. There is that anticipatory grief, knowing that you're going into a situation that there's not likely going to be a positive outcome. You have your grieving afterwards. You have the disenfranchised grief of everybody's giving me attention. What about mm -hmm. my mom? She lost her granddaughter. What about a coworker, a neighbor? There's so many different ways that we all feel pain when something like this happens. And to really address it and talk about it and find out what it is that helps helps us through those moments, those can be really special with us. I'm just putting all the pieces together of the start of our conversation. And we started off discussing why the communication is crucial about death and dying and getting those things out on the table and really understanding the importance of sharing your and being honest with your family about where you're at and what you want and actually trying to achieve those things to the best of your ability, knowing that you have today and trying to not hinder yourself because you're afraid 
afraid of what your thoughts are going to be, afraid of what somebody else is going to think about what you feel or what you're doing. And it's very important to, to be honest in these times because you can't go back two months and and change it. You don't have that luxury of a redo. Every day is precious. And so the sooner you can do these things, the sooner you can get things in order, the sooner you have that put together, the weight that you have on you to try to figure all this out, it, once it's done, you don't have that pressure anymore. And I think you can breathe a little bit more when you have clarity on these issues. And what a reciprocal blessing that is for both sides. For both the person with the health concern and for their family members. I think there is a, a certain freedom in having those hard conversations, both for yourself and for your loved ones to be able to face the denial and the fear, the concern, the the shoulds, right. <laughs> and be able to, to step back and say, I want to be able to have more of what I want at the end of my life. And frankly, I deserve mm -hmm. it. And in the process, being able to help your loved ones not have not have to look back and have those burdens of decision-making and regrets, it doesn't mean it's easy. Are there things that I would change? Absolutely. But I know exactly what my daughter wanted for her last stage and stages of life. And I don't have to second-guess right. my decisions, not medically, not relationally, not interpersonally. I... Even if I didn't agree with her decisions, it's her body. Mm -hmm. And it was really a reciprocal blessing for both of us to be able to have those communications. And I, you know, I sit here and think about how you coming from a nursing background and you having that exposure to patients and all those events prior to this situation with Lauren. And you, you, it's amazing how you can really flip from being the professional person at work dealing with this and how it really does affect you so much differently when it is a family member. All the things you normally do to to handle somebody passing away in a professional setting and how that really changes when it becomes a family member and, and you you are now on the other side of it. And even though you had those experiences, it still was all new because it was your daughter. And just that journey for you alone, um, I, I can't imagine how that had to be very difficult for you thinking that I've, I deal with this all the time, but yet how different it was dealing with it with her. It's it stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. It absolutely stopped me in my tracks. I reevaluated everything. And perhaps similarly to your journey, I now have a different perspective with other people that I meet. I, I understand my my friend whose father passed away mm -hmm. yesterday. I understand that a little mm -hmm. differently. And if it's all about choice of how we view these these circumstances that we have in our life, perhaps we can look back and find the gratitude, thankfulness in the, 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 the positive things in each of these circumstances. I, I would be likely still stuck if I didn't have that right. mindset. And for that, I'm, I'm thankful in itself. I'm thankful for the lessons and I can choose to find the pieces of joy and positivity from the time that we had because we were able to make those moments. 
I don't know if I told you this, Lori, the other day, um, when Lauren was diagnosed and we were learning about the, the, the treatment plans and making some decisions there, she and her husband asked me to come down to Arizona. I live mm-hmm. in Wyoming. And she asked me to come down to Arizona to help her family through. And so we were, I I feel so fortunate to have a husband who said, well, of course, go, I'll stay and run our family business. And I was able to go down to Arizona and rent a little house. And we spent lots and lots of time together. And I'm really thankful for those moments well beyond the treatment calendar. Right. As you know, there's radiation, there's the, the blood draws, the, the, the treatment, the this, the that, the other, the going to the pharmacy, the, it, going to get broccoli. It, it all, there's so many things that become a, a calendar mm-hmm. task. And it's really in those moments that we talked about where we can just be that I'm most thankful for. And I'm so grateful that you had that. I am too. Well, I am too. It means I had great love along the way. Yes. And I think that the healing that happens with these conversations that I have with people, um, it, it helps me to understand things a little different, even though I know where I'm at at the moment, it does help me see things from a different perspective. It does help me have a little more clarity with what my purpose is and what my future holds. It helps me to realize how precious these days are and to, if I can, take advantage of every moment. I'm glad that you're making that choice for yourself, Lori. You're a special human. Thank you for sharing these stories and reaching out to help people have these conversations about the potential end of life, end of life conversations with their families as well. Well, and I am absolutely thrilled that we were able to meet and have this conversation as well, not only for you to share your story, but to help Lauren continue to live on and influence other people in in making these important decisions as well. Thank you, Lori. It's it's a very important topic and it's this is this is something that that means a lot to me that you were able to to be here today. So, thank you. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to my chat with Lynn Sherwood. This is a difficult subject, and I hope you can look at it in a different light now. The reality is that anyone could perish without this wake-up call at any time. Trying to make decisions while grieving the loss of a loved one is a difficult subject, yet it is one that everyone will deal with eventually. Lynn encourages us to think about dying as a natural part of life, designing our dying to achieve a potentially happier ending. You can learn more about Lynn on her website at lynnsherwood.com. The link will be in the episode description. If you or someone you care about would like to share their experience or know of an organization to help even just one person, please message me through my website at sailingthroughlifepodcast.wordpress.com. How do you sail through life? Join me on this endeavor. I would love to grow this caring support community. Be sure to follow the show. I'd be grateful if you could leave a review and share it. 
If you have any thoughts on today's episode or topics you'd like me to further touch on, please message me through my website, sailingthroughlifepodcast.wordpress.com and through Instagram and Facebook at Sailing Through Life Podcast. I would also love it if you could support my show. This would help me grow the show and continue my passion to reach others with my messages of hope and empowerment. Please visit my website to find out more. Thanks again. Chat with you next time.